Hi, this is Mark. I'm one of the senior pastors from Hope Church Malmesbury. I want to personally thank you for downloading or listening online to this sermon cast from Hope Church. We, we share these messages because they really spoke to us. We value their, their content and uh, the anointing that's upon them. And I pray that they bring a fresh revelation of God's love for you today. And if you're able to support the work of Hope Church and the cost of sharing these messages online, then you can go to our website, www.thehope.church give and follow the instructions on that page. And if you're every mum's on a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today's message. So, 1977 was a special year for me. It was the year that I met, for the first time, one of my heroes. 1977 was, of course, the year that Star Wars came out in the cinema, and it changed the lives for literally millions of little boys and girls just like me. Our eyes were opened to a universe full of more possibilities, where heroes were more heroic, where villains were more villainous, where princesses were more pushy. And at the centre of it all was my hero, Han Solo. Han, he had it all. He had a cool spaceship. He had a cool name. He had a cool best friend, like a cross between a bear and a talking dog. He had all the best lines in the movie. And most of all, for some reason, the thing that stuck in my head more than anything else, and I don't know why, but he had the coolest trousers of anyone I had ever met. They had this red line that ran down the side, and I've always wanted some. I mean, when the Empire Strikes Back came out, the, the red line turned into a yellow line, but he still had a stripe down the outside of his trousers. Apparently, it's called a Karelian blood stripe, and it's awarded to people who are, who are very brave in the Karelian Wars. I'm getting a bit nerdy for you, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but the point is this. I always wanted a pair of hand Solo trousers with a stripe down the side. But I never could find any. And even if I did, I'm, if I'm honest, I'm not sure I could have ever pulled them off. Until, that is, today. Because these may look like a pair of ordinary chinos. But let me show you something that not even my wife knows. You see, these trousers have a stripe on the inside. <laughs> that's right, baby. I'm hand solo on the inside, and that's all that matters. In fact, I was going to call today's sermon Hand Solo on the Inside. But I thought George Lucas will give us a copyright notice. So instead, I'm going to call it, All You Need Is Love. I'm sure Paul McCartney won't mind at all. Okay, let's start with today's scripture reading. It comes from Luke chapter 6. For our friends who are visiting, we're, this is part 40, I kid you not, part 40 of our sermon series, walking very slowly through the gospel of Luke. Okay, we've got as far as Luke chapter 6. Starting verse 27, he goes like this. Jesus is speaking and he says, 
But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as for you, wish that others would do to you, sorry, as you wish others would do to you, do so to them. For if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those people who do good to you, well, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those for whom you expect to receive, there you go. If you lend from those to whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners lend to other sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful. So this, this short passage, I would say, is probably one of the most famous and quoted speeches of Jesus. It comes right after the Beatitudes and the woes. We're still in the middle of Jesus' great sermon on the plain. If you recall, a couple of weeks ago, we learned how Jesus, he took some of his disciples up the mountain, away from the crowds, and he made 12 of them apostles. Then Jesus comes back down the mountain and he starts healing, and he's casting out demons, and then he starts to give this great sermon to the multitude. He starts with the Beatitudes, the blessings that Steve talked about a couple of weeks ago. And then Jesus, he lays out this great reversal, calling blessed those people who we would naturally say were not blessed at all, the, the poor, the hungry, and the people who weep. And then as Lydia shared last week, Jesus says, watch out everyone. Woe, woe to the rich, the full, and those who laugh for there is trouble ahead. This great reversal continues. And so we come to today's passage. And Jesus, he's continuing this great reversal, turning the accepted ideas and worldview upside down, inside out, head over heels. I mean, take your enemies, for example. The world says you should hate your enemies. You fight your enemies. They are your enemies, right? The kind of the clues in the name. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those people who hate you. If someone curses you, you bless them right back. If someone abuses you, you pray for them. If someone tries to steal your coat, you give them the shirt off your back as well. The great reversal continues. Everything is upside down. Now these things, 
They're easy to say, but they're hard to do. I mean, if you think about it, outside of the school playground, how many of us have ever really honestly had an enemy? I mean, a real enemy, not someone you just don't get along with, but someone who is a cat-stroking evil genius who is plotting your downfall on purpose. You know, thank God that most of us never have to experience anything like that. The most we have to put up with is a little bit of rudeness and a personality that rubs us up the wrong way. But Jesus says, your real enemies, people who hate you and curse you, your response should be love, not anger. Reconciliation, not retaliation. Jesus says what some call the golden rule. He says, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Right? I'm sure we've all heard that before. But this in itself was also a great reversal. This was a new idea. I mean, there are many ancient civilizations and religions, including Judaism, that have their own version of the golden rule. But they're almost all the opposite of what Jesus said. It's another great reversal. So Rabbi Hillel, Lydia didn't believe me I had hopping rabbis in my sermon as well as Hans Taylor, but we do. So the great Rabbi Hillel, he was challenged to teach the whole of the Torah while stood on one leg. Wow, that must have been some bar mitzvah party. These are the games that they were playing. Anyway, the great Rabbi Hillel, he was challenged to teach the whole of the Torah while stood on one leg. So this is what he said. All those things that people do to you that make you angry, don't do them to anyone else. That sums up the whole Torah. He said, whatever angers you, when you suffer it at the hands of other people, don't you do that to anyone else. Don't do the things to other people you don't want them to do back to you. That's the original golden rule that you'll find in all kinds of ancient civilizations and, and religions. Don't do to anyone else those things you don't want them to do to you. But Jesus comes along and he turns it upside down. And rather than saying, don't do, he says, do, do the things. He says, do to other people the things you want them to do to you. You see, he, he turns it upside down, he does it backwards. This new law, if you like, of Jesus, this thing that he's teaching, it's, it's almost like it is in itself, it's all a reversal of the law of Moses and the customs of the Pharisees. Because those are all primarily focused on actions and outward appearances. But Jesus' new law is focused on our inner motivations, on our attitudes. It's more about inner character than it is about outward appearance. Just like Moses went up at Mount Sinai and he came back down and he delivered the law, the Ten Commandments, to the waiting crowd of Israel, Jesus went up a mountain and he came back down and he delivers his new law to the crowd that is waiting. 
He calls people to go beyond doing what is right and do what is good, to move beyond a sense of duty and instead be, be compelled into action by the love that you have for other people. He's teaching that that attitude is more important than the action, that character means more than contribution. It's what is inside counts most. It's being Han Solo on the inside. That's what matters. All you need is love, not rules. I mean, in Jesus' way of thinking, he says, if someone tries to steal your coat, well, don't fight back. Have some compassion. If, if their life is so hard that, that they need to try and steal your coat, well, maybe offer them your shirt as well because they probably need it more than you do. It's a great reversal. This is the love first response that Jesus demands from his disciples. Um, Amy Carmichael said, you can't, so she said, you can give without loving, okay, but you can't love without giving. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Because it's love, not laws. That's the way of the Messiah. Okay. Jesus said, love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil now as I was reading this during the week and the more I thought about it I kind of came to the realisation this is probably one of the most challenging verses in the whole gospel in the whole New Testament even I mean love your enemies it's, it's easier said than done I've already discovered that but then Jesus goes on and he says then he says do good do good do stuff get up of your blessed assurance and do something contribute put in some effort that makes the world a better place do things that are good and I wonder if, if we're really honest with ourselves how many days now, how many weeks go by when we don't do any good at all? You see, doing good is not the opposite of doing evil. Just because we don't do anything evil, that doesn't mean we've been doing things that are good. We could just, in fact, be doing nothing at all. Going through life going to work, going to school, going to the shops, going to the church, seeing our friends, having fun, meeting with our family. None of those things are doing good. They might be good things to do, but they're not doing good. Because when you do good, when you do good, you increase the amount of goodness that there is in the world. It means that you do something practical that makes a difference, that changes something. When you do good, you make one of the Beatitudes come true. 
A hungry person gets fed. A crying person is comforted. A poor person is supplied with the things that they need. When you do good, it means you go to bed at the end of the day and the world is measurably better than it was when you got up in the morning. How often do we actually really do good? Or has being a disciple of Jesus in the year 2021 turned into more of a spend your time avoiding doing evil? Yeah, we won't do anything bad, but actually we very rarely do something good. We just do things that are neutral or nothing, make no difference at all. It's a hard verse, right? You're on like the third word. Love your enemies. Do good and what and, and lend. Lend? Yes, lend. Lend your stuff, your treasure, your my precious. You know, lend your stuff. Without even expecting to be able to borrow something in return or even get back the stuff that you've lent. We need to kind of hold loosely to our possessions. Be prepared to let them go if someone asks. Because I think the thing that we do is that, that we hold on to stuff in case we might need it someday in the future. Especially things like money and investments. And we hold on to something that we might need one day. Yeah, We hold on to the thing that we think we might need one day. Which stops us from lending it to the person who needs it right now. It's as if that my imagined possible future maybe one day need is actually more important than the real need that you have right now. So I won't help you. Because I'm just hedging my bets and I'm keeping my stuff. Because one day I might need it. And that's messed up, right? But Jesus said, this is how I want my disciples to behave. They lend freely and easily and they don't expect anything in return. Why should they not expect anything in return? Because it is Father God who pours out the reward, not other people. Jesus said, when you lend without any expectation of a reward, you will be sons of the Most High. He's not saying somehow that when you lend, you buy yourself into sonship. What he's saying is, children act like their parents. And so when you give freely, when you lend freely, you're behaving like your father, just proving that you are in fact his child. Because he gives freely too. And who does he give freely to? He gives freely to everyone, even the ungrateful and the evil. Sounds like the name of a rock band from the 70s, doesn't it? The ungrateful and the evil. But if we think about it, really, that's not fair, is it? I mean... If you're honest, don't you want God to be mean to the evil people? Don't you want him to teach those ungrateful people a lesson? You don't want God to be kind to them. We need to be kind to people like us, nice people. Well, that's my initial reaction anyway. Maybe I'm the only honest person in the room, I don't know. But the thing is, if we think about it, sometimes, maybe it's just me, but sometimes I, I can be a bit ungrateful. I don't know about you. Sometimes I can do things that you definitely wouldn't categorize them as good. Maybe. You better 
classify them as, as evil. So I'm really glad that Father God is still kind to me when I mess up like that. See, God doesn't ask from us anything that he hasn't already done for us. Love is all you need. And the ungrateful and the evil people, I mean, you could describe those as the enemies of God. And how does God respond to his enemies? He loves them. And we're so grateful that he does. What does it say in Romans 5.10? For while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now here we see in this passage, Jesus is gathering his disciples. He's making his apostles. He's explaining this new upside-down, reverse, topsy-turvy approach to life. He's defining what it means to be a follower of Jesus, laying the groundwork for the new covenant that will follow and defining the very culture of his church and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is right here in the pages of your Bible. He's, we're seeing the birth of a movement that would change the world and shape human civilization for at least the next 2,000 years. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't lay out a vision. He doesn't write down a mission statement. Instead, he talks about how his followers should behave, their attitudes. He's defining culture. Because even before Peter Drucker said it, Jesus knew it to be true that culture eats vision for breakfast. It's the most important thing in any organization or mission or movement or business or church. A few years ago, a chap called Pat Lencioni, he, he gave a talk at the Global Leadership Summit that I have heard many pastors quote because it laid out three simple characteristics that you look for when someone is wanting to join your team, when you're looking to build uh, a church or, or any organization for that matter. Uh, much like the rabbis summarizing the whole Torah when stood on one foot. You remember, don't do anything to people that makes you angry. Pat Lencioni, he sums up in just three words the whole culture and character of what Jesus is looking for in his disciples. So let me just round off with those three little words. Ponder them, measure yourself against them and see if they don't help you see how and where you could become more like the person Jesus is looking for. And the three characteristics of this. Humble, hungry, and smart. Humble, hungry, and smart. So briefly, what do they mean in this context? Well, humble means, well, it means that knowing that God is God and I'm not, but I need to step up and do a good job when I am the right person to do that good job. And if I'm not, step out of the way and let the right person step up to do the job. He's not looking for applause. He's not looking for thanks. Because, in fact, we know that serving God is its own reward. It's not false humility, which can actually mean the best person doesn't do the job. In fact, often false humility is just an excuse for laziness. Oh, no, I couldn't. Yeah, you mean, yeah, I can't be bothered. Rick Warren said, 
that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And actually, he was paraphrasing that great modern prophet, C.S. Lewis, who said this. He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be some sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling people that, of course, he is nobody. Probably, in fact, all you would think of him is that he seemed a, a cheerful and intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. And if you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life quite so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. In fact, he will not be thinking about himself at all. Humble. That's what Jesus is looking for. People who are really humble. And then hungry. Hungry? Yeah, hungry for more, for, for better. A hungry person is not content to let things lie as they are. They ask, well, how can we do better? How can we build higher? How can we reach more people? How can we glorify God more? Hungry is the opposite to lazy. Hungry is the opposite to apathetic. Hungry people get things done. And finally, they're smart. They're hungry, humble, and smart. Smart. We're not talking about brain box IQ here. We're talking about, he said, emotional intelligence. It's, it's people smarts. This is understanding that the words that you say and how you say them will affect different people in different ways. Smart people know how to build a consensus, how to influence others and inspire them to action. Smart people, in fact, live out that reality of as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And understand that this means treating every individual person as an individual. Because just because you love broccoli, Lydia, it doesn't mean that you, you, know, you bless everyone else by forcing them to eat broccoli all the time. Being smart means realizing that when you're being fed broccoli, it just means that you're getting what you enjoy. So feed other people what they would enjoy. Humble, hungry, and smart. If you have all of these three things, you have a healthy culture. And if you're ever part of a team where things are going wrong, if there's conflict in your sports team, or your Amdram society, or your classroom, or your office, I guarantee it's because there are people in there who are not humble, or they're not hungry, or they're not smart. And for me, it's what I look for when I'm growing a team, whether that's in church or in business. In fact, the reality is you can teach people far more easily the skills that they need to do their job. You can teach skills far more easily than you can teach people to be humble or get them to be hungry or teach them to be smart. Which is why Jesus starts building his church not by giving preaching lessons to Simon Peter. Instead, he starts by defining the culture, how people should behave towards one another, telling them that it's the, it's the hand solo on the inside that matters. Don't be nice to people who are going to be nice back to you. Be nice to the people who are rude and grumpy because they haven't got enough nice in their lives. 
In fact, that's probably why they're being rude and grumpy. Being nice to them will probably help solve the situation. And by being nice to them, their life will change for the better, and so will yours. Because love, at the end, is all you need. Or as the Spirit of God speaks through the prophet Micah, he says, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? It's about time to draw this to an end. Before I do, I want to let you know, I'm very excited. So in October, we're bringing the Global Leadership Summit that I spoke about earlier, we're bringing it to Malmesbury in October. For a one-day event, we're going to take over Malmesbury Abbey. They're even shutting down the bookshop and the cafe for us. And we're going to be inviting people from all over the region to come together because... You just need to turn on the telly. You just need to look on the internet. In our churches, in our businesses, in our communities, these are the most challenging times most of us have ever lived through. And in hard times, good leaders are needed. Leaders in our offices, leaders of students in classrooms, leaders of community organizations, leaders of teams in churches. You know, we all of us have influence and at the end of the day, that's all that leadership is. It's influence. It's the ability to influence a situation for the better. Whatever situation you find yourself in. It's not about having a title. It's about getting involved and wanting to make a change. So for this year, the, the Global Leadership Summit is a chance, I think, to take a day aside to think about who we are, where we're going, what we're trying to achieve. It's a uniquely Christian event, bringing together the best speakers from the church and the business world who happen to be Christians. So we're holding the event on uh, Thursday the 14th of October in Marlesbury Abbey. And I just want to encourage you, whether you're here today or watching online, if you're part of Hope Church, to come and be a part of that. It will be our away day, if you like, our chance to have a uh, a moment, a way to think about what is going on. We'll watch the talks on the big screen and then we'll go off on our own and have um, some processing time in the breakout sessions just as the Hope Church team to learn how to apply the stuff that we've been learning to what we're doing. So that's the 14th of October. It's an all-day event. That's a Thursday. Put your, I'm going to send an email out and tell you all about it. But until then, let's round off with this. Now, to, who, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him, to him be the glory in the church, in Jesus Christ, throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Our time here is up. Thank you for joining us at Hope Church today. Um, please make your way outside just leave all the chairs behind the, the setup team will, will clear them up don't forget if you're feeling humble, hungry and smart and you want to get involved helping with setup or sound or laptop speak to me or Steve and we'll show you how easy and rewarding it is all the way God bless you all have a good week be good, be happy, be holy see you next week bye for now